I am so excited about today. Listen, we've been going on. We've, we've been working on this syllabus now for the past uh, nine weeks. Um, certain weeks were skipped, but um, we did not leave or deviate from the actual syllabus. Um, week number six, we did last week, which was the tabernacle of God. What we didn't do was we didn't talk about the... New Testament version. Because the truth is, it's not just Exodus, but it's also Luke. And one of the things I wanted to start today off with was understanding the concepts of the tabernacle. Why a tabernacle? Why would God want to have us focus on a small piece of real estate? Because that small piece of real estate is a representation of us. We are real estate. We have value. And yes, we have comparables. Those of you who know about real estate, if you ever bought a home, your house's value usually is compared to somebody else's. Right? And that comparable gives you the value, which should it be that way? I don't think so, but this is what we do. this is what we deal with within the society. However, in the kingdom, your worth is comparable or it's based on something, something you did not do. The comparable is by way of the one who actually got on the cross and allowed his blood to be the thing that the father sees. Next week, maybe we'll touch on it a little bit this week. Actually, we may touch on it a lot. Let's see. Week number seven is the Passover and the Last Supper. We want to explore the Passover feast in Exodus and its symbolism, understanding the significance of the Last Supper. People do it. They don't even know why they do it. Some people have no idea what's really going on. They think it's just bread and wine or bread and grape juice. Um, The comparison of the themes of redemption and sacrifice. I think it's important to understand why the Passover is important. Why, for a believer, we should understand the Passover. It is important to know that we have been redeemed. Can you say, I have been redeemed? That means that redemption, that the redemption we have is based on something we did commit. Meaning, if you're redeemed, that that means you're in a situation that you need to be pulled out of. If there is a savior, then that means you need to be saved. That means that there must be something you did that would cause you to be saved. We can't call Jesus our savior if there was no problem. The reason why he's a savior and he's the ultimate savior is because we were in an ultimate bad situation. So our bad moment gives him his title in action. Because the truth is, it's a manifested title. It's not just he's a savior just because. It's because he's a savior because we were in trouble and he pulled us out. Now look at this. When we talk about the concept of being saved, I know the first thing that comes to mind is the prayer of faith, right? 
Well, somebody will say, repeat after me. And then you repeat after that person and all of a sudden you're saved. The term faith without works is dead. We find that in the book of James. The problem with that statement, if not understood, you think that you have to do something that impresses God enough for, them to be, for you to be saved. There is nothing anyone here can do that will impress God more than his son on the cross. You can walk on your elbows reciting the Our Father while you're doing it. That will not impress God. What will impress him or what has impressed him is what Jesus did. So what you do is you tap into what Jesus did and now you look like his son. Now, he says, okay, redemption. You notice that there's a constant, constant focus on, and write this down. This is going to be a big topic today. The seed. The seed. It's almost as if Jesus wanted us to understand that the whole thing with the kingdom has everything to do with a seed. It's incredible that as we continue to watch the ministry, thank you, of the kingdom be announced, we realize that everything has been set in place on purpose. So the first thing I'm going to go into is in the gospel of Luke, the announcement of the kingdom. Jesus begins his ministry proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. He declares the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, 14 and 15. Be prepared to write today. We're going to go step by step. If we get an opportunity to get into the next part, which again has to do with the Last Supper and the Passover, praise God. If not, then that'll be the next, the next teaching. Look what it says here. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. One of the first things that happens in your encounter with God is your desire to speak about the good news. Your moment and your event in the encounter with God causes you to want to speak the good news you're not forced to do it you desire to do it does it somehow sometimes need to be curtailed maybe right because you see when paul had his experience in damascus he uh, he was on a horse he was getting ready to persecute more christians and he gets knocked off the horse he's blinded for Three days, very good. And in those three days, he realizes something. He has a story to tell. God wants our book to be filled with stories to tell. Some people have very interesting chapters, but don't tell anyone about it. God wants to make sure that the out, coming out of your situation is something you let people know about. You may not realize it. We are all commercials of God. Fully paid for, by the way. So whenever we go through a, a situation and we get out of that situation, 
He wants us to use that situation to speak about it to somebody else so they can get out of their situation. It's part of the synchronicity of the kingdom. And does the kingdom have synchronicity? Of course it does. Look at this. If ever you heard, have faith like a mustard seed, right? If you have faith like a mustard seed, what can you do? Move mountains. So the first thing you think about is how small a mustard seed is. There's a problem with that, folks. The mustard seed is not used because of how small it is, but because of how big it gets. So the kingdom mentality is not about what's here and now in front of you. It's about what its potential is. Does that make sense? When you say you have faith like a mustard seed, it's because a mustard seed has instructions to be big. When you're when you're moving in in the in the kingdom, the kingdom doesn't look at the small thing as a small thing, but its potential big thing. That's the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is not a place. The kingdom is not a location. The kingdom is a mindset. The kingdom is a paradigm. When you tap into the kingdom, you're tapping into a realm that is not fully understood, but experienced. And when we walk in the kingdom of God, or when we understand the kingdom of God, we're now able to feel the fullness of what heaven has to offer to earth. Not just looking to what earth has to offer heaven. Our desires change. Now we're looking to see how my life blesses somebody else versus how am I going to be blessed by this? What do I get out of it? That's not kingdom. That's dumb king. But I throw that in there. Because kingdom is, how is it that my scenario, my situation, my experience, how will that affect my neighbor's? Because if they're happy, I'm going to be okay. Look at this. What causes such an explosion? We know it's biblical. I know it's catology. I know what's going on. But what causes such an explosion like what took place yesterday in Israel? When your neighbor can look at you and see that you have a jacuzzi, a pool, uh, you have all this stuff, and they don't have anything... It will cause an uprising. When a person feels marginalized, they will make it their point to get other marginalized people to come together to start some level of an agenda. What is the propaganda of such an event that took place yesterday? Listen, nothing justifies what took place yesterday. That was wrong. But if we study and understand why people do what they do. Why did God set some rules that have to do with your neighbor? Why are the Ten Commandments focused on the neighbor? Because if your neighbor's okay with you, then you have true peace in your borders. Lying, stealing, killing, that's not based on you, it's based on your neighbor. So what happens? The more there's oppression, on the people around you, 
the more they'll come and rise up against you. So your goal is to try to make sure that there's peace in your surroundings. That is the kingdom. The kingdom is looking to satisfy all those around, not just you. When you're moving in the kingdom, you feed the 5,000 before you eat a thing. When you're moving in the kingdom, you want to see other people walk before you can. That's the reason why at the end it was not the sinner's prayer that allowed the man on the cross with Jesus to enter into the kingdom. The reason why Jesus said, come on in with me, today you're going to be with me in paradise, was because he understood what kingdom means. He looked at Jesus and understood the most selfless act that could ever take place was taking place right, right in front of him. Meanwhile, the other guy was focused on the dumb king, not the kingdom. He said, get me off, you know, get yourself off, but get me off. Let's, you have all this power, then come on, man, let's get off this, this cross. And yet, the one who understood the power of the kingdom looked at him and said, he even told the other guy to shut up. He said, man, you, you still haven't learned anything yet? You're hanging on a cross and you still don't realize we deserve this. This man is innocent and you know that. And then looks at Jesus and goes, I understand. Just, just all I ask you is one thing. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. What he didn't realize, he already entered the kingdom by saying that. He was already there because he understood the paradigm of the kingdom. So he entered in. That's why Jesus was able to say, this day you will be with me in paradise. Let me show you something real fast before I, I continue on. I got to show you this. This popped out at me last night. I was in a podcast last night and this here messed me up all night. It's not even an extensive statement. Look what it says. Verse 47, chapter 7, 47. I want everybody to follow me on this. This is a concept of the kingdom. Jesus just got encountered. He just encountered a prostitute that just walked in. She ended up walking in in the midst of all the Pharisees into Simon's house. And she didn't care what anybody said. As a matter of fact, it was pretty interesting how everyone was scared to say anything to her. I was wondering why. Okay, y'all didn't catch that. I was wondering why she could just walk in and nobody tell her anything. You gonna say something? Okay, you, 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 gonna, say, you gonna say something? She walks right to Jesus. The thing about this moment is that there is an expression of faith manifested. What does it mean to express faith? Is the faith something that happens before or after? The event. What causes the miracle to take place? If you understand the tabernacle, then you realize that work is done, but the action taken is based on a line, an alignment that's not based on what you can do, but what God does. Watch this. It's going to make sense. Verse 47. It says, I mean, verse 47, yeah, chapter 7, verse 47 says, 
I tell you her sins, and there are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. He hadn't died on the cross yet, by the way, but her sins were forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, listen carefully, guys, this is it. This is the one that kept me up all night. This is the one that blew my mind, and I hope it blows yours. It said, he says, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, I'm going to say it again. Y'all ain't catching it. Not the words that you repeat after me. Not coming to the altar. That's all good and dandy. What he said was, your faith has saved you. That means a transaction of her salvation was based on faith expressed. When she expressed that faith, her salvation was at that moment. That's why it's very clear. John 3.16 doesn't give you stipulations. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's the stipulation. That whomsoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. What is the, what's the condition? And believing is a part of what? So if you believe and you express that belief, then you're moving in faith and faith has saved you. So as a person who moves in the kingdom, the first thing you need to do is identify with who you are with the king. Seek first the kingdom of God, not seek first the king. Let's go there. Let's go there. Matthew 6, 33, is it? Let's go Matthew 6, 33. If you are looking for the king, you'll keep trying to impress the king, and there's no real transformation in that. But if you're seeking first the kingdom, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Jesus is he's very exact and precise about this. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So first seek the kingdom and not the king. What happens when we go to a stadium or we go to, to see somebody we like, you know, kind of fanatics? Who do we look for? We look for the person. We go there looking for the person or you, Whoever it is, we, we mentioned it, that's who I want to go see. Some of us even go as far as to loving a team just for a per- because of a person. I don't know who's guilty of that here. Oh, he changed teams and now I'm going to like this kingdom because he's now a part of that. The truth is, if you do not understand the kingdom and seek the kingdom, you'll never understand the king. So you'll never have a language with the king because you never learned the language of the kingdom. 
You're speaking French and he speaks another language. And you're here trying to communicate, but you haven't understood the sequences, the nuances, the the structure of the kingdom. Oh, but I want to know God. I want to know him. Here's the thing. When you don't know the, the, the language of the kingdom and you're trying to just get with the king, here's what happens. He'll put you through his honeymoon. And his honeymoon is, has a lot of sand. But the sand you're looking for is the one in the beach. And he takes you to a desert. Y'all didn't get that. You're, you're looking for the king. And the king is telling you, understand my kingdom. And then you will know who I am to you. You won't be surprised if I take you to a desert because everything in the desert will function for you. You'll never lack water. You'll never lack food. I will shelter you. I will give you what you need in the desert. Because in the kingdom, everything works for you. But if you're looking for the king, you want the king to be the one. You don't even know his language, and you want him to be the one to fix everything. When he said, I already fixed it, just moving what I've established. Did, did we get that? I've already put it together. The blueprint is there. Just walk in it, and everything will work for you. And everything I've done, I did already. Everything you're praying for has been done already. Tap it to my frequency and you will have the kingdom function for you. But if we keep looking for the king, that's when people get caught up with trinkets. They get caught up with, you know, a crucifix and they put the crucifix over their doorway and, and they got to pass by the crucifix. It got to like move three times and then they, their day is okay. Oh, you're not, you're not hearing what I'm saying. You get so caught up with the, the trying to find the king without understanding the kingdom, you take a piece of bread and you nail it at the top of the door. But we'll never lack. That bread is harder than any rock you can imagine. No one can be fed by that bread. When you're looking for the king and you don't understand the kingdom, you go looking for horseshoes. And you put it somewhere hoping that it gives you what? Good luck. Rabbit's feet. And I'm talking about believers now. Because when you don't understand the kingdom, now anything can become your king. You will put the king in every situation and thinking, oh, I'm okay now. But the kingdom of God is such that even a seed has a message. Do you know you could take a seed and that seed's production or the, the production that that seed gives or the viability of that seed is based on what ground you put it in. Y'all know that, right? I told you a long time ago there was a place I went to in Guatemala where the fruit grew. They were huge. So I, I thought it was a seed. So I, I told the person, I said, so what kind of seeds are those? Just regular seeds. It was Guatemala. It's, it was I forget the name. It's a really weird name. And he said, these are the seeds. And I said, well, then that, that's not any different from any seed I've seen. He said, yeah, because you think that it's the seed that makes a difference. 
What you don't realize is that the ground the seed goes in is what makes a difference. What was it called? Almolonga, yes, praise God. See, I love that. He is intentional. And the pastor there, who was very well known, he went, he, he invited me over and he showed me, he said, this is not based on the seed. I can give you, do you want the seed? I'll give you seed. I'll give you a whole bunch of these seeds. And it was, it didn't make a difference. It was the ground it was, it was in. Some of us, God is saying, you are that seed and you need to be in the right ground so you can grow. No seed is going to be bigger than another. The ground it's in makes the difference. And so the kingdom, the kingdom mentality, the kingdom is that ground. That's why Jesus was very specific when he said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Beware the, the seeds or the things that they put into the ground because what they give you from the start is wrong. And we try to make the best out of it, but there is nothing good in those two areas. I call them the two extremes. The Herod mentality is always looking for a worldly approach to seeking the kingdom. But then no one talks about the other side. Everyone's always talking about how bad the world is. How bad? Listen, there are more people dying by the Pharisees than by the world. All right. Let me break it down a little bit. The Pharisee mentality is more in the church right now because no one seeks to get rid of it. It has maintained its hold on Christianity and it uses what we have what desire to seek God as a means of keeping us trapped so we don't sing new songs we sing the same songs trying to have a new experience oh y'all don't hear what I'm saying the Pharisees mentality is to entrap you into a place where everything looks like it's good but it's not. Where at least with Herod, you know what's bad. The yeast of Herod is clear. Thou shalt not. These are all those areas. The world is clear on the things that you shouldn't do. But in the church, it's so covert and so hidden that people die in the church, never getting to know who God is. They stay trying to seek Jesus in a place where Jesus says, I'm not there. Ichabod, the glory has left. You're trying to find me in a wooden altar, and I'm trying to find you in your bedroom. You're not hearing me. You're trying to find me in the areas of trinkets and items. You're trying to use frankincense as a means of drawing me. And I'm telling you that my son's death was enough to be the aroma that attracts me. So if you have him, that is good enough for me. Characteristics of the kingdom. 
Jesus emphasizes that the kingdom is not a physical earthly kingdom, but a spiritual reality, as I mentioned. Let's go to Luke 17. Luke 17, 20 to 21. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Luke 17, 20 and 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom of God, there are waves of information that's already in the air. And every time you tap into it, you get the benefits of the kingdom. You, uh, uh, I said this before, but I, I want to make sure that even the younger generation gets what I'm saying. Back in the days, we had to suffer a little bit to get signals. Back in the days, we would try to, it was the, it was the funniest thing. You'd even move the TV around to get the right signal. These televisions had rabbit ears. Anybody experience rabbit ears? Rabbit ears? Rabbit ears? Okay, good. Oh, the, 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 the hanger, the Dominican hanger. <laughs> or, or the foil that you put on it. We suffered. Where you guys go on your phone, y'all get it right away. YouTube. <laughs> y'all get everything. Back in the days, we had to try to position things to get it right. And the positioning had to be left alone. You couldn't touch it. Like, you would tell the person, stop, stop, leave it right there. Move away, move away. Right there. Why? Because in order to obtain the signal, there was a need to be positioned. There was a need to identify where you are, what you're doing, what's going on. In the kingdom of God, what happened was, Jesus became the ultimate antenna and gave us access to everything the kingdom has to offer. What does the kingdom have to offer? Ask yourself that question. What does the kingdom have to offer? Some of you today, just because you showed up, look at God. Not because of anything you did. You did nothing benevolent. You didn't go out there and feed the hungry. Just because you showed up, the kingdom of God has allowed that positioning for things to enter in that you still, know, you still have no idea came in. You'll find out when you go home. Or you'll find out when you go to work. Or you'll find out when you go to school. You're going to go, where did, how did, because you positioned yourself. When you are positioned in the right way, you become the chosen in positioning. Not the chosen in situations that you thought you can fix. I, I look at the, 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 uh, the soldiers that were put together by Gideon. And I see how God wanted to make sure he made a statement. And I see that positioning is important. If you don't know what positioning is, you will live your life the way you want to live and expect something from God. But what you do when fear meets you, lets it be known how much faith you have in your Savior. 
It's not for anybody else to know. It's for you to know. So at any given moment, everybody, think about it this way. And I'm going to use the story of Gideon. Was everybody thirsty? In the story of Gideon, all the men were thirsty. But positioning is important. When you show yourself to be desperate, that means your desperation has led to your minimizing how much God can do in your life. You're saying, no, you can't really do that. And so now, unfortunately, you don't get the fullness of that moment because you're so caught up with this. And God is saying, all you have to do is position yourself. Your posture will bring about the kingdom. So some guys went like this. They dropped to one knee. They took their hands and they brought the water. They were just as thirsty as the others. Listen to me carefully. All of them were thirsty. Everybody wanted water. But the ones that were desperate didn't care about everybody else. They threw themselves in the water and they just kept drinking. Why? Because desperation will show what's really going on in your heart. Who's, who's hearing me? When you're in that moment of desperation, that's what shows where your heart is. But when you don't show desperation, you realize you're still thirsty. You're going to go and you're going to make sure you drink. Mm, I saw this, this, this movie. Of, it was a military movie. And these guys were all together. And they were lacking water. And, you know, they were trying to find out who has a little bit of water. And the guy that had water, he goes in there. He's just as thirsty as everybody else. He goes, you know what? I have water here. Let's see if we can share it amongst each other. He took a drop and made sure everybody else got some. Your level of desperation in that moment pulls out who's inside here. What's really going on? Did you want to take care of you? Or do you want to take care of others? I'm going back to what I started with. That is the kingdom. So God chose 300. Of all those men that started off, it started off with 22,000. And he just kept cutting it in half, cutting it down, cutting it down. And only 300 men qualified. Because only 300 of them went to the water and drank it like this. Even though they were just as thirsty as everyone else. That is the kingdom. Inclusivity in the kingdom. Luke's gospel highlights Jesus' interaction with marginalized, outcast individuals. Weeks ago, I told you about Luke chapter 7. And I told you about how there was a man there who was not Jewish, not really a believer at the moment, but expressed what a believer should do. And that is he desired to see somebody else get healed, his servant. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics of that story because there's a lot that, that's in there. But what I do want you to know, when you get a chance to read Luke 7, you find out that that person must have been a different kind of person. You're going to love this one. Jesus is on his way, to, he's on his way somewhere and, and he gets interrupted by Pharisees which is the case, right? That happened all the time. The difference is 
that in this case, they're trying to encourage him to heal or to help the person who is their enemy, right? A Roman centurion. But he t- they tell him, this guy here, he's different because he helps us out. We, we distinguish and we categorize people based on how much they can help us. So Jesus on his way there. He's going to go heal the servant of the centurion. The centurion meets him halfway and says, hold up. <laughs> hold up, hold up, hold up. I know you have power. Um, the same thing I do, I tell men to go here, men to go there. They do it. I'm letting you know right now that I think you have the same kind of power. Only say the word from where you are right here, and I really believe my servant will be healed. He tells him that. Now, I need you to know something about centurions. Centurions at the time, and if you do your history, if you get into history, you'll find out centurions were not allowed to get married. Why? Because they were in charge of 100, sometimes 200. They were in charge of a lot of people. So they were not, their marriage was to the military. But they had their boys, in quotes, and those boys were connected with them. Look at this, folks. Look at this. How is it that in the whole entire gospel, we don't find an encounter of the agenda? Think about that for a minute. Do you think that there wasn't an agenda back then? Or do you don't think there were people that, of course there were. Jesus, because of his heart for souls, came and encountered this man. And he knew that his house was out of order. Jesus, you think Jesus was surprised when the man showed up and said, don't come to my house? Jesus knew. He knew this guy's not going to want me in his house. Because there's things in his house that describe his lifestyle. There are things in his house that talk about how he lives and he doesn't want me to know about it. But that's okay because it's still an expression of faith. And God honored his faith beyond the lifestyle. Not to excuse the lifestyle, but to love the person in the midst of the lifestyle. You're not hearing me. Every person Jesus encountered that was not part of the Jewish culture or religion, he did it with intentions of letting us know, just like the woman by the well, he intentionally went through a place that was forbidden for him to go through. He said, I'm going to go there anyway because I want to meet with this woman. She has an appointment with destiny. So he went and he spoke to the ones that were the outcasts on purpose. I'm wrapping it up. When you look at the book of Luke and you compare it to the book of Exodus, the one thing it has in common, one of the stronger points, is that there is a coming out of one place and entering into another. And in the book of Luke, deliverance is a part of coming out of one place and entering to another. What the, where was I going with this whole thing with the centurion? 
I was going there, exactly what you believe where I was going. Because at the end of the day, all healing and deliverance is for everyone, not just the believer. Y'all not hearing me. Jesus wanted to make the point that deliverance and healing is for everyone. Even the Pharisees needed deliverance. Especially the, especially the Pharisees. Because the ones who say who think they don't need it are the ones who need it the most. So we have a people out there that are in, are in need of a message. And that message is going to be clear. Healing is for you. But you, want, you would want me here? Yes, I do. Actually, I really am excited about you being here. There are churches that aren't prepared for an influx of homosexuality. They're not prepared. Let me repeat that again. They're not prepared. The moment that, that's why God is keeping them away from certain places. They will be destroyed. But I told the Lord that wherever I'm ministering and I'm pastoring, those doors are open and not just for show. They will come and they will receive healing. And they will not be made looked at as if, as if they're, they're second class citizens. They just need to be planted in the right ground. And a ground that has gone through scorched fire is good ground. <laughs> a ground that has dealt with volcanic eruption is good ground. And if you've been with this ministry long enough, you know that we hit with, we, we got hit by Hiroshima, Nagasaki, all of the above. So the ground has received abuse enough to be able to be fertile enough. So we have people that are going to be in need of people that understand. So, so you don't like me because you have a soul? I love you. You have a soul, right? That's all I need to know. I don't care if you tattooed your eyeballs do you have a soul then I want you here so that you can receive of the ground and you're a seed just like everybody else here and the seed you have the seed you are is enough to turn you into a beautiful tree I don't say it because it sounds good it's really my conviction. Ethical and moral demands. Jesus has the ethical and moral demands. He stresses the ethical and moral demands of citizenship in the kingdom. He teaches about love for enemies. <laughs> that's the one that people don't... That's the one that we need to be working on. Not looking to, to make enemies, but to find out how we can love our enemies. Ooh, woo. At least get an amen. One amen. Just one. Just one. Love for enemies, forgiveness, generosity. That's what it was focused on. In Luke 6, 27 and Luke 10, 25. That's your homework. Take a look. Luke 6, 27. Luke 10, 25. Write it down in your own time. Read it. 
Next one is transformational nature of the kingdom. The kingdom of God brings about transformation in individuals and societies. Do you know that a society cannot change if the households don't change? Until the households seek transformation, we need to stop saying, oh, I want the, the United States needs to go back. No, the households need to go back. And once we're there, then we can target everything. Else. As a matter of fact, it'll happen synergistically, organically. Sacrifice and cost on discipleship. By the way, in the transformational nature of the kingdom, there needs to be healing, restoration, and freedom for those in bondage. Freedom for those in bondage is a big one. And stop always looking for a minister to do it. Stop always, come on, you want to be free? No, no, no. Let me tell you, you can be free. I'm connected to a ground that allows me to be a part of that freedom for you. Because our connection is a major part of the freedom. Who are you connected with? Who are you with? Do you think you don't have power? Are, are you saying that the only persons anointed are the ones that are the leaders in the front? Are you kidding me? That's not kingdom. The king, one king, has dominion. We have access to the king. What's my job? You want to know what my job is, guys? Job description time. My job is not to lord over you. My job is not to be a movie star. My job is to show you that you can do what I can do and what others can do in the word of God. And even better than that, to show you you can even be better than me. My job is to bring you to the feet of the master. To show you, you don't have to stay in the kitchen. Don't worry about it. You have access to the feet of the master. My job is to show you worship works, prayer works, deliverance works, healing works. My job is to be here to tell you, you have the power. But keep you at a place where the power doesn't have you. Because all it takes is one campaign where you were invited you grab the mic and you were shy in the beginning, and all of a sudden everybody's cheering on you, going, Oh, look at this. And now you're saying stuff, and, and people are falling out in the, in the spirit, and you're thinking it's you. Been there, done that. Thank you, Jesus. Because that journey is a hard one when you start thinking you're the source of power. Oh, look what I can do. So what? I love what my, my spiritual father always told me. He would say just like this. He said, Israel, you know, I'm happy that you're doing what you're doing. Wonderful. But I'm not impressed with you. Say it, say it again. What did you say? You don't impress me. Because the moment you impress me, I become part of your fan club. And I can't show the things that hurt, that, that need to build you up. 
Bishop slash hashtag Bishop Tony Miller. He told me about me. And I needed to hear about me. Because as much as I was helping others, I didn't want to get into that realm of look at my flaws. Look at my issues. I have them, folks. And if you spend your time trying to figure out all of my issues, you'll miss the whole service. Like if you came in here to sit here to figure me out, it's a bad move. Because you're going to see a whole lot of it. Just keep looking. But I'm here with my flaws to tell you that just as much as I'm flawed, so are you, and we can do this together. And if you are inflated to a point, if I am your pastor, if I'm not your pastor, don't worry about this. This is only for those who are, if I am your pastor. If I am your pastor, then I reserve the right to do what he did to me, to you. Yeah, you're a great speaker. That means nothing. Tell me more. Tell me more. I'm not going to tell you it didn't hurt. It, it bothered me for a moment. I'd be lying if I told you, oh, I was just fine. That's a lie. I told my wife afterwards, I said, you know what he just said? Did he say it in front of, was it in front of you when he said that? It wasn't, right? At least he considered me that much. That would have been, yeah, that would have hurt even more. Because she would have been telling, reminding me. Remember what he told you? <laughs> but understand, it is necessary. Don't go saying you want to get to a high place if there's no accountability. Don't go looking for high position if you can't be positioned high. Everyone needs a John the Baptist. Even God needed a John the Baptist. And he had all the answers. But he needed a John the Baptist to usher him in. In summary... In Luke's gospel, the concept of the kingdom of God is portrayed as a present reality, yet also is presented as a future of hope. It is categorized by a transformed heart, by an ethical living because of the transformed heart. Because you can live ethically and not have a transformed heart. Halloween is coming, guys. And people act out what they're not on Halloween. Meaning that we have the ability to put on a face and act like something we're not. You can demonstrate ethical prowess and not be ethical at all. Who's hearing what I'm saying? So trick or treat. And here, here, unfortunately, we get caught up with what people think of us instead of what God thinks of us. I must be good because they love me. Or I must be bad because they hate me. Still, work. It works the same way. This kingdom brings healing, restoration, and salvation to all who believe. And it culminates in the return of the Son of Man in glory. Son of Man in glory will be the culmination 
of all of it. At the end of the day, what are we waiting for? Why wait till next week to do what's right when you could do it today? You know, we do it like when we, when we are, you know, the end of the year when everybody says we're going to go to the gym. Why wait till January 1st, which you can do now? No, you know, I just want to take my time or, or, or the infamous. I'll do it after Thanksgiving. Because I know I'm going to eat a lot. You've already proclaimed it. You've declared it. You've spoken it. If it impacted you, you do it today. You don't wait till afterwards. You move in it now. This message means nothing if you can't move in the kingdom today. It means nothing if you walk out the door and, just, and somebody asks you, so what was this all about? What did you get? Give me some, some feedback. What's your takeaway? And you, you say, well, I know it was good. I know it was all right. But you missed out on the true essence of your life being transformed by the message given. So I guess it is going to be a truth that next week I will be talking about the Passover. Well, and the tabernacle, yeah, but mostly the Passover. Because we need to know why we were saved. I'll leave you with this trailer for, ne for the next class. When you think about the next time you do communion, recognize that communion was not intended for you to enjoy what you're eating or drinking, but rather understand the elements that kept you from condemnation. It's going to make sense afterwards. I don't want to give it all away. But I will tell you, if your house is covered in blood by the blood of Jesus, then even those who don't qualify will be saved from impending danger. Let me, let me make that clear. How is your house? Do you have blood over the doorway? Not literally. Don't go out there and look for blood now and put it over your doorway. Is your house covered? Can the angel of death and the angel of sickness and all these entities look at your house and say, mm-mm, not there. Not there. Can it do that? Remember, it's not about this area of what you prevent. It's what God designed. So what's the prevention there? I'm not speaking, this is not uh, changing my conversation. I'm telling you that if you are in this alignment, that God is going to let you know what the story is about. And whatever takes place is because he's giving you the instructions on why. And he wants us to know why. There's a reason for it. Because what I found out is, last thing on the seed, every seed has to die in order to produce. Every seed has to die. All of us have a date where our seed 
will produce. And the good news is that for God, that doesn't, death is not death for God. It's just rest. And so we live even beyond. Where were you born? Oh, I was born in Jacoby Hospital in the Bronx. Nope. You know where I was born? In the mind of God. I was around me, me, Israel Pena. I was around when the world was being created. Please stand. I won't leave you all there. 